When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Builder? In this episode, we bring onto the show my friend, Mr. Pat Bet David. And this was a great episode to do at the time that we're living in right now because many of us are entrepreneurs trying to start businesses, or maybe we already have a business, but we're trying to figure out how we can get more people to buy into our dreams, how we can become better leaders, not only for our teams, but for our family, and more importantly, for ourselves to feel like that we've really grown in life and that we're growing and whatever our dream, our vision is, we want to be able to go after it. And I think that he has definitely done that. He's built two super successful multi-million dollar companies simultaneously. And he breaks down how he's done it, what his mindset's been and how he's adapted and his leadership capability. So I'm excited to share this episode with you. Make sure that if you are in a place where you can take some notes that you do just that, because this is one where you're going to get so many nuggets and if you apply them it will definitely change your life let's jump right into it what's up dream nation we are back again and we have my brother the man i don't even want to say the myth in this one but definitely the legend mr pat bet david for anybody who does not know i'm sure they're probably living under a rock but i'm so excited to bring you on today this is going to be a really good conversation and the way that i always love to start this off for people who don't know is i always like to think of us as entrepreneurs thought leaders change makers just like superheroes Reason being is because we're constantly flying around the world, we're putting on our cape, and we're trying to solve the world's biggest problems. And so behind every Superman, there's a Clark Kent. And for a lot of people that follow you, I know myself included, we all look at PBD as a Superman. But tell us, who is the Clark Kent behind Pat Bet David? Pretty simple guy. I mean, if you, uh, a guy that uh, loves a uh, a good book, a good movie. My uh, When I used to uh, have my office in Woodland Hills, LA, back in the days, I would always come at 11 o'clock and my assistant always knew where I was at because I would have uh, popcorn all over my suit. And she would say, you were at the movies again, weren't you? I said, yep, with my 85-year-old friends, you know, I'd go watch movies together with them. But uh, somebody with a big dream, somebody who had a chip on his shoulder and one, wanted to go and find out what his upside was. And obviously, from there, it led to where it's at today. But uh, quite a simple man behind the whole market or the brand that you see with Biotainment. 
Got it. Let me ask, you have been, in my eyes, one of the biggest storytellers, right? And one of the greatest storytellers. Like I put you up there with a lot of people, just like a Will Smith. And I want to know, did you always have the ability to tell these stories? Or was this something that you worked on over time and you built up your craft? I think I was always a storyteller. You know, typically sometimes people want to say, you know, downplay it and do all that stuff. I can't do it with that. I was not good. I was not a um, hard worker my entire life, but I always told stories since I was a little kid. It was always uh, what if it was always imagine this. I was the kid in junior high school that you would walk. I had a friend of mine named Adrian who lived a complete opposite side, but he would walk with me and he would say, hey, Pat, tell us a story. And I would tell a story for 30 minutes and we'd be going down or. I'd be asking questions. The most common question that you'd be getting from me if you were walking with me is, would you rather be Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, the president of the United States, Bill Gates, the richest man in the world? If you had to choose between those four, what would it be? And then we would debate for 30 minutes. Why would you pick Michael Jackson? Why not Jordan? Why not president? Why not the richest man? If you're the richest man, you can buy a sports team. If you're a president, you can make the decision. If you're Michael Jackson, you get to party. So we would have a lot of those types of conversations and uh, it was all fun. And now we talk about it and we laugh about it, but that was 30 years ago. Wow. Now for anybody, I, I guess I'm familiar with you because I followed you for so long. You came here as a refugee. You came here from Iran, right? And you remember so much of the war between Iran, Iran and Iraq and things like that. But for you, when you now looking at the business that you have now, did you always know that this is what you wanted to build? Or was it something that just kind of fell into your lap? Because you come from military to then getting into sales. Like, did you always have this big dream? This was me. I wanted to be a bodybuilder. My dream was to be a bodybuilder. I was going to go out there and compete. I was going to go be Mr. Olympia. I was going to go be in movies. I was going to do Hollywood. I was the Middle Eastern Will Smith. That's what my friend Kogan Oliverdian would call me. I was that guy. That's who I wanted to be. But at the same time, I like numbers. So numbers were always uh, uh, very attractive to me. I always liked numbers, stats, formulas. I would fail all my classes, but I would ace calculus. And I was the curving calculus. And it was always an interesting dynamic on how is it that you fail biology? And even if you got 100 on the final, you still wouldn't get a D. But how is it that you understand calculus and math as if it's so easy to you. What is the difference? I was a numbers guy. So when I was approached to uh, get into the financial industry by a girl named Jean-Vierre, whom uh, we used to date back in the days we met at Venice Beach, she would pick me up in a different car every time we'd go out. And I finally asked her, I said, how do you make your money? She said, I'm a financial advisor. I said, who for? She said, for a lot of the Laker players. And she was in her mid twenties, making very good money. Half a million dollar year income at that time was a lot of money. And I said, uh, you know, I'm very curious. How do I get into it? She said, we need a degree. You got to go to UCLA. I went to UCLA, all this stuff she's telling me. I said, I'm not going to UCLA. I'm not going to go get a degree. I don't have the patience for school. She said, they won't hire you. I said, well, let me see what I can do. And eventually I submitted my resume. And on my cover letter, I put the best joke I had at that time. And I sent it to 100 different uh, places. Back then it was about faxing. And uh, the letter said, if you're laughing after reading this joke, this is exactly how my clients are going to feel if they do business with me. They're going to love me. If you want somebody to like this part of your team, give me a call. I sent 100 resumes. I got 30 callbacks. I got 15 interview offers. I got three job offers. And I started off with Morgan Stanley Dean Witter a day before 9-11. And then from being a stockbroker with Sirius 766, I chose insurance. And then from there to today, we grew from... Uh, 
being an insurance agent to now we have 16,000 agents in 49 states with, I don't know, over half a million square feet of office space. And in the last 90 days during the coronavirus, we typically average three to 5,000 policies a month. We've been selling around 10 to 12,000 policies a month the last 90 days. It's been the best profitable months. We've had five months in a row. And uh, it's been a pretty wild ride, but that's that's kind of what happened with me from the direction I was to where I went in the financial industry. Got it. Now, a lot of people they seen that obviously you have the PHP, but then you have valuetainment. Talk to me about where because the reason why I bring this up, a lot of people right now they have their personal brand, but then they're also trying to build a business on the side, and they don't know if they keep them separate or if they have to be an all-in-one. It seems like you've been able to figure out how to keep them separate without trying to really convolute them. How has that? Is it just about you have enough help, or was that the direction in the beginning? that you knew you were going to keep them separate? No, I had to keep them separate. So let me explain to you how this works for me. So one, I don't sell my PHP products to valuetainers at all, zero. So for example, when I put the vault conference last year, my agents were not invited. So if they bought a $1,000, $2,000 ticket, it was refunded. Only the five board members were invited. Nobody else was invited. So they couldn't do that. Now, the other part, if Valuetainers contact me and they say, hey, I want to buy some insurance policy. I said, I can't help you. You got to find somebody. So I don't commingle the two. If it happens, it's accidental. It doesn't happen intentionally. PHP side, if the PHP folks want to buy courses, they cannot buy courses. You can't buy my courses. I don't sell it to you. Meaning I'm not selling courses to make money off of you. You're in the company. So as long as I separated the two businesses, what happened is Valuetainers said, well, I thought originally this guy was going to use Valuetainment to sell me a bunch of insurance policies. The guy's never sold me anything. That's the, mo- that's the model because it's a bigger picture of what we're doing. And then the PHP folks were like, I think this guy's creating all these courses because he wants to sell it to us. You are not selling any of it. Matter of fact, I never share Valuetainment videos ever with PHP. If they watch it, it's because they watch it. It's not something that's part of our uh, uh, MO that, hey, subscribe and do this. Nothing at all. There's completely different platforms that we have. And once you do that, you earn respect from both sides of the audience and they trust you more to do business with them. And that's one of the things that I did when I uh, was able to separate the two. And then as far as how the businesses work, I have employees that only work for Value Tim and I have employees that only work for PHP. And we've been able to manage that accordingly and it's worked out pretty well for us. It was, uh, it's getting more challenging today because the Value Tim brand is now bringing a lot of money in more than it was ever before. And PHP has grown to a point right now that we have to do a lot of different things with PHP. Where they're going to be separated here very soon in two separate offices. So I'll be running a company from one office and running a company from a different office. But for a long time, you could manage the two being together in the same office. Got it. Do you think that it was that it, people could do this now? And the reason why I ask is because that feels like that there's a lot of red tape that goes into that? And do you got to have a lot of income? For somebody else right now that's looking to build two different brands right now, do you think that they could do the same thing or would you not recommend it looking back at all the challenges that you've had? I highly recommend it if you're willing to be serious about it. This morning, I was doing my private uh, monthly webinar where it's uh, 75 CEOs from 50 different countries and we go through processing issues together. They range between doing a million dollar year business to a couple hundred million dollar year business. And we talk about the challenges they're facing. And, and one of the things we talked about is a couple of the guys who run businesses, they do five, $10 million a year. They want to uh, write a book and, hey, Pat, what can I do to write a book and sell a lot of copies? And what can I do? And how do I get myself to have a presence? 
And I said, tell me your name. And I went online and I looked at their entire profile and I said, okay, you got 112 subscribers on YouTube. The other guy had a couple thousand subscribers on YouTube. Your videos are not consistent. They don't come out on the same day. You just kind of sporadically put a video here, then one three weeks later, then one a day later, then one five weeks later. You're not consistent. You're not taking social media seriously. It's more like a one night stand to you than a marriage. And the one thing you have to realize about building a brand, if you decide to build a brand from the one night stand perspective of let me get a viral video to help me become a celebrity, it's not going to work for you. It's not for you. Skip it. Don't try to create content. If you're going to make social media part of your business, there's got to be a business and a system behind it. Meaning people look at social media and they say, oh my gosh, that guy makes the perfect short clip videos on Instagram and look how it's going. I bet it costs a lot of money to edit that and to transcribe it. And this guy's doing YouTube editing with these intros and that guy's Twitter content. And he's always busy on LinkedIn and he's doing stuff on TikTok. And then there's podcast audio. How do you keep up with all this stuff? Here's how I started. There's one of three gifts that we all have. You're either a great writer, you're either great with audio, or you're great on camera. But you're going to be good at one of these three things. Whichever one you're good with, lead with that. For example, if you're a good writer, start writing a blog a week. One blog a week about a topic you know a lot about. For example, if you're a real estate person, write real estate. And what kind of topics do you put up? Best, best time to buy real estate. Great. Worst time to buy real estate. Nine things to know before buying a house during the pandemic. These are titles you come up with, right? You know, five qualities of a real estate, you know, five qualities to look for before hiring a real estate agent. Six hidden fees real estate agents don't want you to know about. These are the kind of titles you put up. And people are like, what are the six hidden fees? They click on it, right? And you put it boom, right. boom, 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 boom. And I read it. Okay. So, so that's writing if that's your strength. Podcast, if you're audio, sit there, get your phone, do an audio, post it. It's not hard to do. It's cheap nowadays. And you can pretty much do it for free. And you can post one audio podcast per week. Not complicated. YouTube. For the first two years, I made one commitment to myself. One YouTube video a week. It was called Two Minutes with Pat. And we posted one a week. And that's all I did. I didn't do more than one a week. But I did every week, and it was at the same exact time. It was on Tuesdays, every week. Tuesday, 8 a.m., a video went out, two minutes with Pat. We did 104 videos, so that's two years. After the 104 videos, I sat there and I said, what do we want to do now? Is this working? Do we want to scale this? Do we want to take it to a different level? I got a couple of videos that ended up doing well. I got one article that ended up doing well. I wrote an article about the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper the day it came out. I said, did Einstein use NZT? It was shared tens of thousands of times, but that was seven years ago, eight years ago, pre-anybody knew who Patrick Bay David was. I didn't have a YouTube channel. I had nothing going on. I was just writing an article a week. And then once I realized it's working, then I said, now I'm going to put money into it. And then a few million dollars later, obviously at this point of the game, the Valuetainment brand is a whole different story. You're getting $100,000 sponsorships. You're getting people that are wanting to advertise that you're turning down and you're staying true to your audience and your brand. And now it's turned into a company. And this is a company that's going to end up competing with NBC, CNN, Fox, a lot of these other guys, value team and media will be. And this is just the beginning. So it became an accidental media company is what it turned into.
Got it. And that was exactly what I was wondering, because right now, a lot of people, they're wondering, obviously, during the pandemic, should they be going after the profit or should they be going after their passion? Right. And for you, it seems like that you started out going after your passion because it was something that you loved, which is the financial services. Am I right? Or you said it was accidental. Did you have an intention to go after profit or passion in the beginning? So, so that's a great question. I'm going to give a little bit of a different answer than what most people tell you. Here's how I work. I think too many people do too creative stuff way too early. Okay. And, and what do I mean by this? Let, let me explain. So, you know, hey, go pursue your passion. You'll never work a single day in your life. Great. My passion may be backgammon. I love playing backgammon. I'm very good at the game. I don't know if I'm going to be able to professionally be a backgammon player and have my life be what it is today. Okay. Did I wake up in the morning saying I love life insurance? No, I never said that. What happened with life insurance? I said, I want to find a career. I love numbers. I went into Morgan Stanley Dean Witter and I started selling some insurance policies. Then a 19-year-old kid uh, named Gilbert, whom I was uh, training, this kid was an incredible kid. He was, uh, at the time, I think he was a Jehovah Witness guy and he would pray for everybody. It was so random. The guy had like an old soul and everybody liked him and trusted him. He was homie. But he had an old soul. He had something special about him. So we'd say, hey, Mary, do you mind if I pray for you? And people were not Christians. They're not Jehovah. They're like, what do you mean? Let me just pray for you. And then he would pray. Interesting kid. And wasn't overbearing. Hey, come to my church. Let me tell you the profit of this. No, he would just say, let me pray for you. And he was an insurance agent people trust. And 19 years old, one day he's going home from Glendale Community College. As he's driving down, he's about to make a left turn. The driver's taking it because his car broke down. He's in a passenger seat. When the guy's making a left turn, the other car comes and doesn't see it's a red light. Hits him in the side. The car turns, goes into the telephone pole. 19-year-old kid dies like this. I go to his funeral. A couple thousand people showed up to his funeral. I've never seen a funeral that big for a 19-year-old kid. 2,000 people show up. Hmm. So I go to the funeral, and afterwards, we delivered a policy to his parents. His parents didn't have a single insurance policy. This kid bought a $100 insurance policy. And he called me to cancel it. It was $60 a month. It was a permanent insurance policy. We gave $50,000 to his mom and his dad. It was the only baby they ever had. The mom and dad couldn't get pregnant for seven years. Right before they adopted a baby, they said, let me go and pray one more time. If we believe in God, let's wait one more month. One more month, the baby ends up being, they end up getting pregnant. So they call them the uh, miracle baby. They call them Gilbert. And the mother said, if, this, if I get pregnant, I will commit the rest of my life to you, God. That's the story. Painful story. I'm right there and I'm like, this entire time I thought I was just selling an insurance policy to get commission. In that moment, I realized, wow, there's so much power behind what I do. I had no idea. This kid only paid $60 a month premium for four months, $240. We gave $100,000 to his family. How do you pay $240 and you get $100,000? This is, and I sat there, everybody needs this product. So I became aware of the power of what I do after I got involved. So let's talk about passion. Once I knew what we did changed people's lives, I got hooked. Then I said, I'm going to give it 20 years. And the reason why I said 20 years is because a lot of times people are always looking elsewhere. What if I do this? What if I do solar? What if I do real estate? What if I do stocks? What if I do that? They're all over the place. I'm a 20, 20, 20 guy, meaning first 20 years of your life, try to not make a big mistake where you ruin your life. A big mistake is what? getting caught with, caught with cocaine and, you know, you go do five years and you have to sit there and always explain the fact that you did this. And it's okay if it happens, but you're hoping you don't make a very big mistake in the first 20 years. The second 20 years is find a career and stay in it for 20 years. 
and make your money. So if I go in and do 20 years into an industry, make my money. So I go into financial and say, am I uh, the 20 year run? I made around $300 million. So I make $300 million. The next 20 years, I'm going to combine my passion and business together, which is media. In the last 20 years for me is going to be contribution, whether it's going to be sports, politics, education, schooling, that's from 60 to 80, but that's the increment. So the whole concept of passion, profit, value, you know, and, and what you pursue, I think uh, there is a motivational video message of what people say, and it can get some views. I'm not the motivational video guy. I'm the guy that's going to tell you if you're going to have a wife and kid and you're going to be married, you're going to have to be able to put food on the table because there's nothing more annoying than a husband and wife fighting over money on a daily basis because a husband or the wife made bad choices with money. Money's going to make a lot of the big decisions in your life, and you cannot treat it casually. You have to take it very seriously. So profit matters just as much as passion does and value does. Wow. No, I think that that's perfect, perfect answer. And, and that's exactly what I wanted to know. For you, you've worked so much of the time and people have asked you this question a lot, but I wanted to see if your perspective changes as you get older, because right now you work as hard or maybe as much as anybody does and you pride yourself on that. Do you feel like that you wish you had a little bit more harmony between your work and your life balance? Because for everybody that sees you're running a, a company with, again, 16,000 agents, but then on the other side, you're constantly putting out a, a lot of content. So for you, do you wish that you had more harmony? Looking back on it, do you wish that you would have set things up differently? That's a great uh, question you're asking. And for me, you have to realize I was raised by a father that I saw once a week. In Iran, you work Monday. Iran Sunday is Friday, okay? So Friday you're off, and then you work Saturday through Thursday, and then you're off Fridays. Okay, Friday is the Sunday. Just kind of try to visualize that. So my dad, I never saw my dad. He left at 5.30. He came at 9 o'clock. We were asleep at 8.30. We never saw our dad, but we saw him once a week. And when we did see him, it was our day. Meaning, woke up in the morning. We went to park. We went to church. We went to grandma's. We came home. We ate. He took a nap. Then we watched a movie together. Then we had dinner, and then we went to sleep. It was very systematic. My dad was all about systems because he felt kids needed systems and a predictable model to follow that made them have some confidence behind it. So years later... I asked my dad a question. I said, dad, let me ask you a question. He said, what? I said, you worked very hard. He said, I did. I said, I only saw you once a week. He said, yes. I said, did you ever miss it? Like, do you ever sit there and say, I wish I didn't work as hard to have more time with me? He said, never. I said, why not? He says, because my goal is to build you into a leader. Selfishly, I want to be around you 24-7. But how selfish of me to not teach you the hard work that I learned from my dad. Then I'm being selfish. He says, I want to teach you to be a leader so your dreams become a reality. If I was around all the time and you saw me all the time, you're going to think that's the norm. And you're raised to think that's the norm. And you're going to be financially struggling the entire time because it's tough to build anything big doing nine to five or doing eight to five. There's got to be a period of your life where you're running and gunning. So I took that element and added it to my philosophy. And with my kids, it's the same way. The difference here is the fact that my dad wasn't a CEO and a founder, he was an employee. So he didn't have the luxury of building a company in a way where his kids wanted to be there every day. He didn't have a luxury of putting a basketball court in his office where his kids want to come here and play basketball. He didn't have the luxury of putting a slide or an arcade or a pool table or a ping pong table or a gym or all these different types of games here where the kids want to come here and play around and run around. I have that luxury. So during the pandemic for five months straight, my kids pretty much four months straight, my kids were here every single day. It swapped between the three kids. 
and they'd come in and you had homework every day. You had to make 102 shots, not shots, but make 102 shots, basket, my eight-year-old and my six-year-old. You had to read 40 pages of a book. My older was eight, uh, 40 pages. My middle one was 20 pages, the six-year-old. You had to watch a one-hour documentary. So both of them watched the entire last dance. And then you had to give me a report on it. And then you had to do 25 laps of swimming every day. And that was your day. And then we mm -hmm. played. And they were watching me doing conference call. They were watching me doing meetings. They were watching daddy scene work. And they're all over me climbing on top. And like if I was doing a podcast, they were down here and they're messing around. We're resting. We're doing all this other stuff. You know, I think most people, if they look at it and they sit back and ask themselves the question slightly differently, which is, if you had to show certain values and principles to your kids, to give them the biggest upside, to have their dreams become a reality, how would you change your approach to your example you're giving to them? Because they're going to duplicate you. In what ways would they need to live to have their dreams become a reality? And if they do what you do as a parent, will their dreams become a reality? If the answer is yes, keep doing it. If the answer is no, you may want to make some adjustments. I love it. For you, are you have your kids started to show that they want to be creators, right? Because me having the podcast, me being excited for interviews, my son sees it, right? And then looking at YouTube, looking at Instagram, he sees all those things because he's starting to become exposed. And obviously there's power in just seeing those numbers, regardless of the substance behind it. And you obviously have really big numbers and a lot of substance. Have your kids started to say, hey, dad, when I grow up, I'm going to be a YouTuber. And if so, what's your response on that? Because obviously it takes a lot of consumption to get that love for it yeah uh, the oldest one has he likes to do videos and and uh, kind of see himself and they all have their own instagram accounts that i manage myself and i'm just kind of building up to one day pass over to them and uh, you know some of them uh, the oldest one does the middle one loves the camera while i'm doing the podcast with you my wife sends me a picture of him saying this kid is so confident the guy is so comfortable in his own skin the guy looks like a little Middle Eastern white boy, Bo Jackson. He's got the perfect <laughs> butt and the big calves and he's very strong, but he's got a big heart, but he's competitive and different. But the point being is, I don't know what it is to be raised in an environment where my father creates content and runs a business. I don't know. And I don't know what's going to happen to these guys and what they're going to want to do. The only outcome I have with my kids is one thing. I just want to find what excites them the most and what their strengths are. And then I want to put them in that environment that highlights their strengths and their gifts. That's all I want to do. Hmm. And where they decide to go from there, I'm all cool with it. You want to go, you know, like my uh, oldest loves dirt. He's loved dirt since he was eight months old. He always went to dirt. He always wanted to see ants and dirt and playing in the mud and, you know, uh, 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 crickets and frogs. He just, I don't know. He just loves it. He loves that stuff, Right. And the middle one is very different. He's competitive. He likes fashion. Like he picks his clothes from a young age. He would say, no, I'm not going to wear that shit. That doesn't match. I don't like the socks. Can you give me a different one? He wouldn't go to school for 30 minutes. He argued with my wife saying, I'm not going to school wearing this. And I'm like, what a strong personality. I'm impressed with this kid. The youngest one is a bully. She's a smack talker. She talks shit. So she has a complete different approach where she may end up being a lawyer. She may have a strong personality doing what she's going to do. But I'm looking to see what they're eventually going to want to do with their lives. And then I'll just water them with people who are experts in that area that can eventually get them to the next level. That's my approach with the kids.
Got it. Yeah. And, and I love it. And I've seen a video where you were talking about your daughter and you didn't know how, you know, what she was going to be when she grows up. And my daughter, she's two and a half, but definitely going on 21. So it's the exact same thing every day. We say that she's a pistol in herself. One thing that I think that has driven so many people to you is the fact that you can be polarizing, but at the same time, you're polarizing when it comes to true leadership. And I think one of the videos that I know went viral was the wartime versus the peacetime leader, which came out of the segment of the book, but something else that I caught, which was maybe six to eight months ago, and you were talking about leadership and how one thing that particularly stood out to me is you said something along the lines is there's there's a difference of having someone who believes you versus believing in you, right? And I don't know if you remember this live that you did one night, but I wanted you to talk about that because I feel like for running even a company with 14,000 people, really even 1,400 people, that takes a lot. How have you been able to strengthen your leadership, you know, over the course of the years? Like, has there been a mentor? Has there been something that you've always turned to? Because a lot of people right now are trying to get into this entrepreneurship world. We're even having four to five different employees or or team um, players. It takes a lot to adapt to those different styles. What's it been like for you and how have you strengthened your leadership over the years? So, so to me, years ago, I was having to sit down with a bunch of guys in 2006, and they were asking the question, what is the key to success? Mm-hmm. And one guy said, marry the right person. Another guy said, hard work. Another guy said, you know, have a relationship with God. Another one said, saving money. Another one said, you know, being good with numbers. Another one said, being good in sell. All this stuff they said, right? I said, okay. And then for a couple of years, I believed this thing. And then I believed this. I'm like, man, but I got to figure out, there's got to be one thing above everything, right? What is it? And finally, I came to the conclusion that, The number one key to success in my eyes is learning how to process issues. That's the number one skill set, okay? To me, happiness and fulfillment is about being aligned, but to me, the number one skill set is learning how to process issues. So what is processing issues? Processing issues is different about how you react to a problem that's within a second, you got to make a decision what you're doing right now. Processing issues is different than what am I going to be doing this week to maximize my returns of this week? Processing issues is different than doing strategic thinking for 2021. What are we going to do in January, February, March, April, Q1, Q2, Q3 to hit our numbers? And then processing issues is different for long-term thinking. Five, 10 years, what am I going to do next 20 years? Processing issues is also different when you're debating religion. It's also different when you're debating politics. It's also different when you're debating who to vote for. You have to ask yourself, how have my parents voted their entire lives? I'm African-American. 88% of African-Americans vote Democrat. Is that what I'm going to do? Why am I going to do that? I'm Armenian. I'm a Syrian. 65% of them vote Democrat. Why am I voting Democrat? I remember growing up in a family. Uh, my mother said they were communists. My dad said they were imperialists. And I remember being a kid. I had no idea what politics were. But I remember one time I asked my mom, mom, are we Democrats or Republicans? And I'll never forget what my mom said. My mom said, we're Democrats. I said, why? He says, because Democrats are for the poor and Republicans are for the rich. I said, I want to be Republican. She's like, what do you mean? Do you understand? Like, I didn't say I want to be Republican, like pro-life, pro-military. I'm like, I want to be rich. I hate being poor. I can't stand being poor. I hate the fact that I don't have any allowance. I never had an allowance as a kid. My mom's never given me an allowance ever. I've never had a single penny of an allowance. I hated that part. I had to figure out a way to do a bunch of things. I said, you know, one day I want to be rich. But I questioned it. Why are we poor? Why are we on welfare? Why are we going through these things? Why? I'm sick of this thing, right? It really ticked me off. So 
Then to me, it became where I'm doing a course right now. We're sitting down this Saturday to come up with the course because on the Vault Academy, I post different courses. And one of them is Advanced Business Strategy, which is the Vault, Vault Conference. It's specifically for founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs. The other one's a sales course. But I was asked to do a course on public speaking and storytelling and how you give messages and in an environment of a Zoom or public or small or one-on-one and all this other stuff. And Mario asked a question and said, so how do you view public speaking? I said, as a debate. He says, what do you mean? I said, public speaking is all about a debate. I don't understand, Pat. What do you mean? I don't look at it as a debate. I look at it as a speech. I said, you're debating. No, you're not. You're giving a speech. I said, you're debating. Let me explain. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. When you're getting up and presenting an idea, you're not presenting an idea to people that 100% agree with what you're saying. You're presenting an idea with having to bring up facts, stories, compassion, understanding of the audience, history of what's happened, how times have changed, and how people want things to change. They have to change the way they view certain things and how they vote for an idea of business, finance, marriage, raising kids. Like even you asking me a question, I just gave an idea about why it's once a week because of my dad. That's a debate. Someone's going to say, I disagree. That's public speaking, right? Okay. So then I learned leadership is all about the debate. Mm. One of my guys whom I pay $400,000, you're a great guy, he's a doctor, but he's very lazy. He's not a hardworking guy. And he benefited from being with me early on. And he came in and he's a guy that never quit. He was there. So eventually his block of business got thick. And in insurance, the longer you run, it eventually works out for you. He should be at a $2 million year income right now. He's only making $400,000 a year. And he didn't like capitalists at all. He would always link capitalism to slavery. African-American guy, very good friends. His kids talk to me all the time. They went to good schools. I'm talking Morehouse. You know these schools. These are not small schools. These are legitimate schools. Right. One day we're having a conversation together. He says, listen, man, socialism is the way to go. You have to get in the direction of socialism. You know, capitalism is all about the rich. I said, okay, cool. Sounds good. I kept that in the back of my head. One day he got a, like a, you know, $10,000, bonus. And I called him. I said, congratulations, you got a bonus. He says, how much? I give him, you know, 10, 20 grand. He says, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. I said, but bro, let me tell you what I'm doing. I think you're right. He says, what do you mean? I said, I think it's unfair to pay this whole thing to you as a capitalist. I, th- I said, I think it makes more sense to take this 10 grand and give $500 to your top 10, 20 best employees that you have and give them each $500. And you get 500 bucks, but everybody gets 500 bucks. He snapped at me. How dare you do that? You can't do something like that, et cetera, et cetera. How dare you do that? You can't do something like that to me. I said, no, you're getting the bonus, but I'm doing what you said is right, which is socialism. He lost it. Then I said, you're right. You deserve this $10,000, not everybody else. This is your check. You're officially a capitalist. And he says, damn, I got it. So you see, the point is to say, I worked hard for this $10,000 bonus. I was willing to do that additional work during that time. So one time I had a conversation with the same guy and I said, you know, you have to realize this. And this is when this whole concept came about. I sat him down, I flew him and his wife out. They came out here, we had a meeting together. I said, you know, I hope you understand this. I believed in you from day one, but I no longer believe you. Just what Mm -hmm. do you mean? I said, uh, I know it's an insult. It's not a compliment. I don't want you to take this as a compliment. Because I believe in your capacity of what you could do, world changing. You can make a very big impact in the world. 
but I just don't believe in the words that come out of your mouth anymore. You say things and you never do. The last 50 times you've said what you're going to do, you haven't done. So I just don't believe you anymore. I believe in you. That hasn't changed. I don't believe you anymore. And he started getting emotional. I said, I understand why you would get emotional. This deserves tears. This ought to make a man cry. Because the last thing you want is somebody that you're in business with to say that they no longer believe you. They just believe in you. <laughs> because uh, there's people that you sit there in an enemy. You say, I believe in my enemy doing whatever they can to put me out of business. Well, you don't have to believe in them. But you believe them that they will do whatever they can to take your piece of business away from you. You never want your parents or a leader to tell you that they believe in you, but they don't believe you anymore. Mm-hmm. It's very painful. So when you're asking about leadership, he left, he came back and he changed his business. It got a little bit better, but he took it personal. I think a lot of times leaders are afraid of having civil conversations with people that you have to have with pushing buttons because they are so concerned about being liked all the time. And I think in the world of leadership, you got to be able to have the courage to do that. I love it, man. Last thing I, I want to ask you, and this has been a phenomenal conversation as I knew that it would be. There's somebody out there right now that is listening to you. They're super inspired. They want to blaze a path similar to what you've done, but they have that little voice in their head. And that little voice says that they're not strong enough. They're not smart enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What's the one thing that you would say to that person to get them to just take action? Find someone who is a great person to shadow that believes in you and do whatever you can to earn their respect. And then eventually you're not going to need them and you can eventually be an equal or maybe somebody that can be a supportive to that person and you own a piece of their company or you go do your own thing. So for example, say for if I'm coming up and I want to create content, but I'm a nobody, if I have a chance to create content with somebody who's a top channel, and a top podcaster, and I can do that and learn and collaborate and be somebody that's number two or number three on their show, I'm learning from them. If I'm doing real estate and I can go work under a number one real estate agent locally in Minnesota, and this guy's killing it, and I can just be somebody that supports and I watch his work ethic, how he works out, how he negotiates, how he calls, then eventually three months, six months, 12 months later, my belief goes up because I said, if I do this and what he does, I can make a million dollar your income, I can make $2 million your income, that's pretty amazing, then my company goes up. So if you don't have it in you right now, go find somebody who does have it in themselves and be around them enough until some of their mindset and DNA rubs off on you. That'd be my number one suggestion to somebody who's coming up, go find somebody that's strong and shadow them for as long as you can until you no longer need them. Got it. There you have it, people. Well, Mr. PVD, it's been a phenomenal conversation. I'm blessed and honored that you decided to come onto the show, share your wisdom with us. And remember, Dream Nation, in the dream we trust, but just as he said, you have to take action. Otherwise, it'll only merely be a fantasy. We'll see you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. 
That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.